today on CityCast Las Vegas, invasion. Y'all, somebody tossed a few crawdads into the wetlands park and they're reproducing. This invasive species means trouble. So what happens if we don't get the crawdaddies out of the mix? To get all our crawfish questions answered, we talked to Doug Nielsen, a conservation education supervisor for the Nevada Department of Wildlife. It's Monday, March 6th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Good morning, Doug Nielsen. Thank you so much for being on CityCast Las Vegas. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're going to have lots of absolutes today, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So we heard about the crayfish, the crawdaddies, as I like to call them, in the wetlands. And of course, the first thing I think about is crab boils and New Orleans goodness. But can people eat these crawfish that just got dropped off in the wetlands? Well, the crawfish that we're talking about are edible. In fact, some... Some places distribute them as a as a food source. Okay. The difference between your typical American crawdad, if you will, and this this one is this these grow much larger. These oh. get upwards of ten inches in length, so they almost look like a a miniature lobster. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, they're a big they're a big animal. That's always my complaint is that when people eat crawfish, like because they're so small, I'm like that's a waste of an animal because you just eat the tail, but oh, this is like the large size. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So from that standpoint, you know, they might be attractive to some people that they would like to have have those. But as far as the the natural world in Nevada goes, they're a bad thing. Ah. So do you think it would be helpful for people to try to catch the the new ones that are currently in, in the wetlands? No, no. Actually, we'd like them just to let us take care of it. The big concern is, is with these is having them spread to other waterways. Right now, they seem to be contained in a couple of ponds at the Wetlands Park, mm-hmm. but there's always the chance that they could do some cross-country travel into another adjacent pond or that somebody might feel like, oh, that pond doesn't have some. I better move them. And oh. That's a worst-case scenario for us. Yikes. Yeah, that's a hot mess. Because I'm wondering, what what danger does the crawfish pose to the wildlife and the fish that are found in the wetlands park? Well, the, the problem with this particular crawfish is, number one, it's so big. But mm-hmm. number two, all crawfish will eat anything. They'll eat other fish eggs. They'll eat other fish. The larger species that we're talking about has actually removed some of the original crayfish, it's a little smaller variety Dang. from these ponds. Yeah, so they're a predatory species that originates from Queensland in mm-hmm. Australia. They really don't belong here, but unfortunately we have some people who feel like they need to import these, these critters from other places and they end up creating problems when they make it to the wild. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always feel like they're they're called to is bottom feeders, right? Them, shrimp, and there's a couple other animals that'll just, oh, is that food? Is that something I can put in my mouth? Then they'll just eat it all up. So <laughs> I could see that being a stressor. But you just said, right, they, they don't belong here. So what happens if the crawfish are not contained? Well, and that's the big issue for us, right, is that if they find a way 
to go from where they're at now, mm -hmm. either with some help or on their own into the Las Vegas wash, which is adjacent. Mm -hmm. All I hear right now is Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> exactly, Vogue. That's exactly the scenario that we're dealing with. And keep in mind that these things didn't get in the wetlands park on their own. Somebody purposely carried them there and let them go. So now if they get into that Las Vegas wash, now it's a straight shot downstream into Lake Mead, from Lake Mead downriver to Lake Mojave, from there downriver down to Lake Havasu, and you can see the scenario. Because mm -hmm. in the inside the park in that visitor center, I, I'm I'm a big kid, but you know you hit the little button and you can see all the ways that the waterways are all fully connected, and so of course it doesn't stop here; it can spread out. And some people say, well, that's the stretch, isn't it? But yet, look, we already have an invasive species called the quagga mussel, which was brought oh. to Lake Mead from somewhere else, okay. and now that can be found all the way down the Colorado River system. And it's very expensive to deal with, and it threatens water supplies, water intakes. It creates a problem. It's very expensive. So for the crayfish, do you think somebody just put the little crayfish in like a little, <laughs> I just imagine like a goldfish bag that you get from the pet store. But do you think that somebody just put it in like a Ziploc bag and had to keep it on? Because have, they have to be submerged in water. Is that correct? Uh, they'll stay alive dry for a little while. Oh, okay. But to answer your question... Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. We actually have a, an information campaign we've been been doing, especially around our, our native springs. It's don't ditch a fish. Mm. And what that means is don't ditch your aquarium fish when you're tired of them. Mm -hmm. Don't ditch your crawfish when you're tired of them. Because when you put those in our natural waterways, you put at risk the native fish that are there. So here's a for instance we have a fish called the Pahrump Pullfish mm -hmm. that, true to its name, were originally found in a spring in the Pahrump Valley on the other side or the west side of the Spring Mountain Range. Mm -hmm. Well, as the valley grew with people and water was drawn down, that spring was dying. Mm -hmm. It was drying up. So we had, and I can't remember the gentleman's name, but we had a very astute biologist in the valley that said, hey, we're going to lose this fish. So he, he salvaged some and found a refugium for him. And so he was able to salvage a population of that fish. Well, it only exists in refugia. And one of those is Lake Harriet at Spring Mountain Ranch State Park. Wow. Well, somebody decided to let crawfish go in there and aquarium fish go in there. And the population of Pahrump Pullfish went from the thousands down to the low hundreds in, in just a few few weeks. So we had to do another salvage operation, dry that lake out in order to kill and remove the crayfish and the aquarium fish. Mm. So yeah, it's a real problem. And uh, the worst thing people can do is take something that they've bought for a pet or for curiosity's sake and release it into the wild. People think it's humane. I'm going to, you know, free willy and and, and, and put them out here, but it's it's not. It's a terrible thing that the consequences can be extreme. I'm curious, like how do the crayfish reproduce? Well, here's a, here's an interesting thing: a female can lay a thousand eggs at no. a time. No. Okay, but 
She can lay eggs three to five times during the reproducing season. So that's upwards of 5,000 eggs from one female. 5,000. Now imagine you had 20 females in that pond. Oh, my God. Yeah. So their ability to reproduce is amazing. They're, they're very, very productive. What makes a species invasive? Well, number one is if they're not not native and they're introduced haphazardly. Mm -hmm. This particular fish, by legal standards, is considered injurious, meaning that it has the potential to injure our native fish species if they get into our, our natural waterways. Okay. And because of that, they're actually illegal to possess or to transport or to release. There are some exceptions to the possession, but you have to have a permit. It's mm -hmm. highly reg regulated and monitored to make sure, again, that the thing you have a permit for doesn't end up out in our natural waters. And do you think we'll need to empty the wetlands to eradicate? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. In fact, what we tried to do this spring was drain these two ponds where we know they are. And our, our biologists were running pumps all day long and they were able to make inroads. But as soon as the pump shut down, there's an inflow of water from a water processing plant upstream that keeps feeding it. And so what we're going to have to do is come back probably in the fall next year when it cools off again mm -hmm. and find a way to shut that water inflow off so that we can dry them and drain them. The problem is these animals burrow mm -hmm. into the, the sides of the bank. Yes. And so as long as they can stay moist back in there, they can live for, for quite a while. So we have to be able to drain the ponds, obviously catch which ones we can but the ones that are in burrows, we're going to have to give them time to either come out or, or die in there. So right. it's, so it doesn't mean draining everything in the wetlands. But during last week's efforts, our biologists were able to remove about 60 approximately mm -hmm. crawfish from the ponds there. Uh, I think a, a best case scenario would be if we could do it all next, next winter mm -hmm. and be done. But... Again, that's that's being highly optimistic, I think. Okay, this is a hardcore invasion. Um, <laughs> like, like, I feel bad. People couldn't see my face. It was like, oh, yeah, if they're burrowing into the sides, then yeah, that's an entirely different battle. They're, I, I like respect the resilience. And I'm also just like, that's a problem. Well, and we have evidence, uh, Vogue, that they have reproduced at least once. Oh, no. Yes. So, I mean, now there's some things in our favor for instance, they're from a tropical, subtropical environment. So when our temperatures drop down around 50 degrees, they it's not good for them. So if the water's cold, and that, that'll uh, help suppress the population. So that's in our favor. The problem is, is that if the water stays warm and the temperatures stay warm, then they can live that out. So 
for us, this winter has been good because we haven't had a really a cold winter for mm -hmm. a while. Mm -hmm. So the key going forward is we got to keep monitoring and and hopefully we can establish some kind of a trapping regimen so we can keep that population suppressed until we can come back in and work with the wetlands park again to, to remove some of these critters. Outside of the fish, are there other wildlife in the wetlands that are in danger? Because I feel like I read something about the birds. Well, there, you know, the wetlands area in the Las Vegas wash is home to a lot of spe different species. The, the thing that limits probably the variety there is, are the tamarisk trees, which are, again, another invasive species that um, has been able to establish itself along waterways throughout the western United States. Hmm. But it doesn't provide nesting habitat or food for birds or anything else. They just It just sucks water. So that's actually a limiting factor in what can be out there. But I mean, you have a variety of waterfowl that use the wetlands on their migrations north and south each year. We, we have coyotes that live out there, bobcats, foxes, rabbits, multiple species that live in the wetlands. So um, that's one of the things that makes it a, a fun place to visit. You never really know what you're going to run into. In fact, <laughs> When we were working around these ponds, when we came in the morning, you would find raccoon tracks. Oh. The raccoons had been hunting in the pond banks. I feel like nowhere yeah. did I read that there were coyotes and stuff in there. I feel like I would not have um, gone out so freely into the wetlands <laughs> if I would have known. <laughs> well, well, as as a general rule, Vogue, they don't want anything to do with us. Their exactly. primary diet are things like mice and squirrels, small rodents and rabbits and things like that. So... Humans aren't at the top of their dietary intake. So, okay, we know that there's an invasive species in the, in the wetlands. Is there anything that Las Vegans can do to help protect our ecosystem? You know, in regards to this particular subject, probably the, one of the biggest things that we can do, Vogue, is make the right choice. And when I say that, so you go to a pet store with your, your kid or your grandkid or your niece or whatever, and they start begging, right? Mm -hmm. Almost as soon as you go in the door, they want a puppy, they want a bird, they want a fish, they want a snake. The problem is, well, we, we don't know how long these animals are going to live and then our interests might wane. Mm -hmm. And so... Then we have the decision to make, well, what do we want to do now that we don't want this animal anymore? Well, it's really a commitment. So you have to think twice before you make that purchase. Because once you come to the end of your interest in that fish, in this case, a water-based animal, then we start saying, oh my gosh, we better let it free to live. The problem is, as soon as you do that, you are creating a situation like the one we're facing at the wetlands park and its impact is significant. So if you have a pet that you no longer want, the best thing, first and foremost, go back to the place where you bought at the store and say, hey, I've got these fish. I don't want them anymore. A lot of times they'll take them back because they can resell them. Hmm. If, the, if they won't work with you, then perhaps you can find somebody who's interested that you can rehome them. The very last thing you don't even want to consider is releasing them because the impact is so 
huge on the environment. We've seen it over and over here in Southern Nevada. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and, and trying to get our wetlands back together. I really appreciate you being on CityCast Las Vegas. Oh, you're welcome, Vogus. It's been an enjoyable visit. Thank you. What else is Las Vegas talking about, David? Well, Vogue, regulations and licensing surrounding street food vendors are working their way through the Nevada State Legislature under SB 92, but there's some pushback. Street vendors claim government harassment. The Southern Nevada Health District specifically denies that. All the while, city representatives are pushing more regulations to include distance requirements, sidewalk enforcement, and parity with brick-and-mortar restaurants. Meanwhile, with all the recent rain in the Las Vegas Valley, most lawns have been naturally watered, so residents should make sure to turn off their sprinklers right now, especially given our water woes. That said, starting Wednesday, the spring watering rules will go into effect, which permit landscape irrigation up to three assigned days per week. Do what you got to do, but as the Southern Nevada Water Authority says, remember to drip it, don't drown it. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you learned something new like I did, go ahead and tell a friend. Rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Well, you know, Vogue, there's so many neat things out there in the desert. People people always tell me all the time they're so surprised to find out what lives here. They didn't think there were animals in the Mojave Desert. Mm. I says, well, they are. The difference is that here, the only animal that's dumb enough to be out during the daytime is us. Everything else during the summer months hunkers down and stays out of the sun. <laughs>